Okay, how about this? Everyone, we'll start this episode with a nice big deep breath in. Hold it. And then exhale. I mean, you can scream if you want, like Truge just did, but feel free to just exhale normally. Let's do one more. Breathe I was in. exhaling normally. Okay. <laughs> I can confirm that's not normal for Truge. Breathe in. And exhale. <laughs> what? Why are you laughing? What'd you have for breakfast? Oh, but I was going to ask you what you had for breakfast. How about you go first and then I go second? Okay. Hello. It is I, Allison Truge, the co-host of this podcast. Today for breakfast, I had a a bagel that was, uh, it was a Brugger's bagel that was frozen and then I uh, defrosted it in the microwave and then I cut it in half and then I toasted it and I put a whole heck of a lot of cream cheese on top of it. I feel like you and I uh, hailing from places near New York. I'm from New Jersey and you spent most of your childhood in Pennsylvania. We go hard on the cream cheese. Yeah, I don't know. It's like a weird thing because... Because I grew up, like, always being on a diet, we never, like, consistently had bagels at my house. That was, like, only a treat that my mom would buy when I had a bunch of friends over because it was easier (laughs) to get a dozen bagels from Panera Bread. Pagera Bread, (laughs) as Chris Palming would say. It's easier to get, like, a dozen bagels from Panera Bread than it is to, like, make pancakes for eight kids kind of a thing. Yeah, or you could get takeout from the Outhouse Steak Back, uh, which is very convenient for uh, for a group of kids. We had bagels growing... In a burger cheese! (laughs) A turbo cheese! Uh, we had bagels growing up for breakfasts, and uh, that was, as we talked about last week, the inspiration for us freezing a whole f ton of bagels. But it's been a whole f ton. We had a bunch of bagels uh, growing up in our house, and it was really nice because uh, you know you could just pop it out of the freezer and defrost it. It was really great for mornings when, again, my parents had to take care of you know two young hungry children, uh, so they had to feed Where us with bagels. Them? There was a local place. Oh, I forget what it was called. They changed the name to uh, from something to Udo's Bagels in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. The popular spot for bagels near us was called Maidenhead Bagels. We very rarely went there, but uh, fun fact, Lawrenceville was originally called Maidenhead, which is where they uh, got the name for the bagel shop. I remember either they closed or I was leaving or something. Maybe I was moving away for college, but... I was, it was like my last time I could enjoy bagels from Maidenhead, and I got an everything bagel with cream cheese, and it was delicious. And I remember thinking, why don't we ever go here instead of uh, the other place? But, you know, it was uh, it was how we grew up, it was how we enjoyed bagels, and it was how I uh, formed my bagel opinions, as heard on this podcast. I also had... Uh, for breakfast and everything bagel with cream cheese with a lot of New Jersey cream cheese. I feel like so here's what I'll say because all the bagels are mixed up in the bag that is in the freezer. I actually don't know for sure what flavor I ate. Yeah I dislike that about getting the baker's dozen yeah. from Breakers. It was like a, a standard it, it might have even been a plain bagel but it had bits of a garlic bagel on it kind of a thing. Yeah I may have had a plain bagel with like a little bit of everything bagel ish stuff on it. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. But here's the thing. Mystery's the spice 
spice of life. Mystery is the... Wait, no. <laughs> I mean, we do have variety, which is actually the spice of life in yeah. that bag of bagels. I recently... I'm sorry if this is too much of a departure, but also like, I don't know, this is a podcast. So what, what do you want from me? What I was about to say is we never had bagels from like a local place where I grew up, but... I don't mean that to say that there weren't local places. We just usually would get bagels from Panera Bread Mm. if we were getting them. But I do remember when I was a sophomore in high school, I was in like a biology class. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I don't even remember who the teacher was, but she was, it was like a spring semester kind of thing. And she was like trying to reward us for something maybe. Um, And there was a local bagel shop. I think it's Johnny's Bagels in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. But they used to have like a St. Patrick's Day bagel that was like a green bagel. And it was one of the best bagels I've ever had. And I know that it's a loaded thing to say. It was in Pennsylvania. (laughs) It wasn't in New York. But it is the tri-state area. Gosh darn it. F. Um (laughs) There was a debate on ATP recently whether the tri-state area was... Oh, what was it? Uh, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, or New Jersey, New York, Connecticut? No. No, the tri-state is area is. is absolutely Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. Yeah, I I won't hear anything else. I just won't hear it. It's like, that's a, that's the tri-state anger area because it's you know, a little bit triangle. They're all a little cluster. New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut are like a line. They're the tri-line states. <laughs> yeah, and like, I don't know. I feel like if you're not from around New York, you wouldn't think of Pennsylvania. But where I grew up, like, I uh, I was applying to NYU for, for college, and I did eventually get in, but I decided to go to Emerson instead. But we went to visit NYU, and it took us an hour and a half to get there. Like, that's closer than, like, that. that's literally closer than if you were going to Newark, like, from Newark into the city. Yeah, it's wild. Like, <laughs> Which isn't true. Don't fact check me. <laughs> Yeah, when I, uh, growing up in uh, Lawrenceville, New Jersey, just outside of uh, Trenton, there were a ton of people that would commute into the city every day because we were really close to an NJ Transit train station. Uh, But I can imagine there's a lot of people where you live, too, in Pennsylvania that would commute into the city every day because it was only like an hour, hour and a half away. Yeah, there was a, um, I think they called it a carport, maybe? Actually, never mind. I don't think that's what it was called. But there was basically like a park and ride. That's what it was called. It was a park and ride <laughs> where it was like, I mean, it's literally what it sounds like. It's you like, park and then you ride a pony over to the train. Yeah. There was and like before a, you get on the train, you have to park the pony and say, good job, pony. Brian, and it says, thank you. Brian, can I please talk? Go right ahead. <laughs> um, it was a, a Greyhound stop. So you could park and take the Greyhound into the city. Um, and they sold like books of tickets so like for five hundred dollars you could like get into the city like for a whole month kind of a thing i think it just goes to show like we we would visit home fairly often you and i we would go down there together for visiting our families and things i think it's saying a lot now that we're reminiscing about traveling there during pandemic where it's like oh god if only we could travel back to the places where we grew up to have johnny's bagels yeah, I I liked Johnny's Bagels a lot. I hope that I'm not like misremembering if any folks from Bethlehem are listening to this and you know the place that has the St. Patrick's Day bagel, please correct me if it's not Johnny's Bagels. But it was a it was a green bagel and it was so good. It was like a plain bagel, but it was green and that was amazing. 
And uh, now I think it's time that we acknowledge our guest for this week. Please welcome Johnny Bagels. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian and Truge. It's me, Johnny Bagels. You're from Bethlehem, New York. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Not New York, but my bagels are so good, it may as well be Bethlehem, New York, because they're New York-style bagels. I hate that. So it's like a week later. Hi, everybody. And we have pulled up here the Wikipedia page for the tri-state area. (laughs) I was thinking about it, and I was like, what if I was wrong when I said that Pennsylvania is in the tri-state area? It's not that you're wrong. It's that the entire rest of the world is wrong. I'm here from the future to fact check the truth of the past. The tri-state area is indeed New York, New Jersey, and... Connecticut. From Wikipedia, which is never wrong, the tri-state area is an informal term used in the eastern contiguous United States for any of the several regions associated with a particular town or metropolis that, with adjacent suburbs, lies across three states. Some of these involve a state boundary tri-point, such as the tri-state area of eastern Pennsylvania, southern New Jersey, and northern Delaware. Okay, so I was just wrong. I was just wrong about which tri-state area. And then here's a list of tri-state areas. There's the Delaware region, which... Eastern Pennsylvania, Southern New Jersey, and Delaware. Okay. The New York metropolitan area, here we freaking go, which covers the parts of the states of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Come on! Though it also includes portions of Northeast Pennsylvania. That's three and a half states! Although I would I would say, and if you're from Pennsylvania, you would also say this, that Bethlehem is not Northeastern Pennsylvania. No, it it's... It is just Eastern. It's just Eastern. Northeast Pennsylvania is like close to, like, what? Michigan, Ohio, something? Yeah. Not Michigan. Wow. Ohio. (laughs) I don't know my geography very well, but come on. This is ridiculous. People would commute from New Jersey to Pennsylvania to go to work. People would go from Pennsylvania to New Jersey to go to work. Both Pennsylvania and New Jersey would also go into Manhattan. That's what we were talking about. Are you trying to say that Pennsylvania and New Jersey is a tri-state area? No, I'm saying that nobody would commute from New Jersey to Connecticut to work. That makes no sense to me. That's true. New York is between New Jersey and Connecticut. It makes no sense! Anyway, we just wanted to fact check this because I didn't feel like getting dragged on Twitter. And the reality is, we've been more wrong than this on our podcast before, but I didn't specifically want to be wrong about this. This one is rubbing me the wrong way, and I'm just... I. I can't stand, I will not abide by this. Hashtag New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York. <laughs> Is it Pennsylvania erasure? <laughs> it's Pennsylvania erasure. Um, I also want to talk about the fact that not only did I have a bagel for breakfast, but I kind of had a second breakfast as well. Oh, well, what about luncheon or afternoon tea? <laughs> so basically, I mean, everyone knows that in quarantine, we just want to eat all the time. Yes. I just constantly want to keep eating. So... This morning when I went downstairs to get the bagel, basically, before I went back up, I was thinking to myself, like, huh, I'm still a little hungry, and so I know I'm going to be peckish in, like, about an hour, and so I preemptively took up one of our topics for today, which is homemade yogurt. You can make yogurt at home. Brian did all of it. I don't want to take credit for literally any of it. And Brian doesn't even really eat yogurt. So I think he just did it for me to be nice. I did it for the experiment because I wanted to try making yogurt. And also, I I rarely have yogurt. But when I do, I really enjoy it. So I wanted to have some. What I'll say is... Even though before quarantine, I wasn't the kind of person that would go and like buy a yogurt. Well, that's not even true. There have been 
periods of my life where I eat a lot of yogurt. Yogurt to me is one of the most normal breakfasts that a person can have. Yes. And so eating it every day has made me feel more normal than I felt in a very long time. And so I took up a little snack, which was um, a lot of yogurt, probably like maybe even like a cup and a half of yogurt. Um, and I also put in frozen strawberries and some, uh, it's Nature Valley granola, but it's basically just Nature Valley bars that have been like just a little bit broken up. I, so I combine all those together and then I put it in my little mini fridge until I was ready to eat it. The frozen strawberries were perfectly thawed. They were still cold and they made the rest of it cold, but they weren't frozen and it was just a really good snack. It was totally delicious. And I was so glad that I had like the pick me up in the middle of the day. I remember you mentioning that you tried doing this without uh, defrosting the strawberries at all or letting it sit at all. And you said it was a little hard to eat. It was like crunchy. Yes. So here's the thing. Uh, eating frozen fruit, just like by itself frozen fruit, it's a hard thing to do. Uh, painful <laughs> for the teeth. Um <laughs> But the other weird thing about the frozen strawberries I have, I guess, is that they're easily mashable with a spoon. And so I kind of just like mashed them up when I put them in the yogurt. And then I realized I didn't let them defrost enough. And it like flavored the yogurt. Who would have thunk? It was really good. (laughs) Wow. By talking about yogurt, we're really going to earn our society and culture iTunes tag. Because there's live cultures in the yogurt. Sorry. D. Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) Do you want to talk about how you made the yogurt? There is an Instant Pot setting where you push a button that says yogurt, and it walks you through the process of literally making yogurt. Yeah, you press the yogurt button, and then a voice comes out, and they say, okay, it's time to make yogurt. Please go get your milk. It's really wonderful. It, like, ties in with an Amazon Echo to actually narrate you through it. No, it doesn't. Uh, You take whole milk whole milk is best because the more fat is in there the creamier the yogurt will be in the end we ended up using we i didn't make it brian made it but i had in the fridge um because i've i haven't been drinking oat milk because lactate comes in a bigger container i think i talked about that <laughs> yeah, in, it's bigger and cheaper it's bigger and cheaper and in a lot of ways tastes you know it tastes like regular milk because it is regular milk it just has lactase enzyme in it but i had whole milk lactate and so brian used that and i think it turned out great yeah so you bring the milk up to a boil very briefly to 180 degrees fahrenheit at least uh or some other number in celsius don't at me and then you cool it back down to 110 degrees fahrenheit because that changes the proteins in the milk in some way that makes it more receptive to the yogurt cultures and then you take i only used about a tablespoon of yogurt for a half gallon of milk which is wild you put a tablespoon of yogurt into the uh, scalded milk and then you let it ferment the instant pot calls it ferment you can literally like ferment it in like a fermentation box like uh, joshua weissman did on youtube we'll link that video in the uh, show notes but I did it in the Instant Pot. The Instant Pot I have kind of has like a sous vide function where it holds a particular temperature in the thing by like reading the sensors of the stuff inside or something. I don't quite understand how it works. And I have not tried Instant Pot's sous vide thing, but this kept the milk at the appropriate temperature to let the cultures grow. And as the cultures grew, it turned the rest of the milk into yogurt. And so you get a gallon or half gallon of yogurt for the price of a half gallon of milk, 
which is really great. It's a lot of yogurt, folks. It's a lot of yogurt to go through. We're trying to get through it. Please help us get through this yogurt. We will leave the yogurt outside on our doorstep. I, I, Please I also, take a spoon and a bowl. I want to go a, ham. I want to put a razor fine tip on this. I am the person eating the yogurt, and so I am the person that is going to eat a gallon of yogurt in I'm the next go- week. <laughs> I'm going to try to have some. One of my favorite breakfasts growing up, which I had, again, very irregularly, but enjoyed when I had, was granola, banana, and plain yogurt, and it was great. I mean, I'm going to run out of fresh fruit probably tomorrow, so I think that'll be our only option, actually. Good. Because we- the only fruit we have is bananas right now, I'm pretty sure. You can also make yogurt in the sous vide by doing the exact same process I described, bringing the milk up to temperature, then bring it down, then adding the yogurt, uh, the pre-made yogurt. You add a tablespoon of that. And if you uh, put it into jars and put it into a sous vide for 8, 10 hours at 120-something-ish maybe, who knows, uh, you can do it in the sous vide just like that without the Instant Pot and with things already pre-portioned out. That's the other issue. We kind of have to depot it. Uh, (laughs) Right now, it's still just sitting in our giant bowl in the fridge taking up a ton of fridge space we we should probably consolidate yeah and the way that brian arranges the uh items in the fridge is totally untenable no it's fine you just take things out to get to the things behind and underneath it it's totally untenable it's totally fine (laughs) what'd you have for lunch i promise this is relevant y'all hey truge what'd you have for lunch do you mean what did you interrupt my two o'clock meeting with? I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it was like two o three. I didn't realize that it was that late, and it took me this long to make. But it didn't take me that long. I'm to just make. giving you a hard time. I'm sorry. I never apologize for giving me food. Um, but you just surprised me with some beautiful pasta carbonara. Carbonara. I can't. I can't do Italian accents whatsoever. Carbonara is breakfast pasta. It is breakfast pasta. It is bacon, egg, and cheese pasta it's everything that i love about food it is bacon asterisk cheese asterisk and egg asterisk pasta (laughs) everything has an asterisk can you talk us through your through your process so kenji lopez alt who is one of my very favorite chefs uh on the internet he used to do these first person gopro cook with me videos where he would just walk you through the process of how he would make things since quarantine has started and he's uh, cooking overtime at his uh, restaurant in San Mateo, California, to uh, feed local hospital workers, which is amazing, he has also been filming so many more of these videos. There's at least one a day. Yesterday, I went downstairs and there was three new videos from overnight that Kenji had filmed from his GoPro attached to his head and uh, uploaded just like... Him talking through things that he's been making and... The fact that Brian suffers through the mouth sounds of these videos, I think is a big testament to how good they are otherwise. These videos are incredible and I'm really bad about mouth sounds and when Kenji eats things, it's very close to the microphone of the camera and it's very loud and crunchy. But the videos are wonderful and I rewatch a lot of them. Today he re-uploaded a video he did on Carbonara and... I thought I'd give it a shot. A shot banara. Shot banara. Uh, shot, a carbonara shot, which <laughs> I would never order from a bar. That sounds horrifying. A shabanara? Shabanara? No, I need no. to stop forcing we, this. I'm I sorry. love you so much, Truge. The thing that is most inspiring about Kenji's videos is that even though he's one of the people online that really convinced me that weighing things, weighing your ingredients is the way to go for precision and dish efficiency. 
he just kind of wings it with all of these cooking videos. He doesn't really measure much. He's like, yeah, sure, that's probably enough cheese. Yeah, sure, that's probably enough egg. And it's so liberating and so freeing. He'll screw up in the middle sometimes, and it's so endearing and reassuring to see, again, one of my favorite professional chefs screw up in a video and put it online. There's nothing quite like, and I have such a fascination for, like, like professionals who, like, their craft is something that they do daily, like for themselves, mm-hmm. um, watching them do that thing. Like there, I I've heard like there are some chefs that like can't really cook for themselves because they <laughs> cook professionally. But yeah, I, I especially love like watching my friends who are bartenders, like make drinks for themselves. Exactly. And the way they adapt. So if, if someone works in a professional capacity as a chef or a bartender and how they will apply the same principles at home or away from like a fully stocked bar with all of the equipment and all of the ingredients you could ever want. It's fascinating to see. Yeah. I kind of think that if I were to design another chapbook for myself, because I, I don't know if anyone listening to this podcast wouldn't know this, but I, what I do professionally is like project manage, like publishing projects and I design books. And so when I released my own chapbook last year, I like did my own design for my own project right and I was thinking about it while I was doing it that I was spending less time on my project in so many ways than I would on on another project Mm -hmm. and I was like this would be an an interesting kind of like video of like the the corners that I cut for myself but also kind of like the ways in which you can see what really matters when someone's doing kind of like it's not a half-assed job it's like a an efficient job. Yes. Like overly efficient. You know all of the rules and therefore you know what you can get away with breaking for your own projects. Yeah, exactly. The other really liberating thing about Kenji's videos is that he doesn't really have recipes for a lot of them. He has a fried rice video from a few weeks ago where he's like, yeah, you know, I just found these things left over in the fridge. They're kind of starting to go bad. So I'll get rid of them and use them in this fried rice dish. It's amazing. So, I realized, hang on, we have egg, bacon, cheese, pasta. I can whip up this dish really fast. Also, and I had no idea we had bacon. So here's what happened. This morning, our dear beloved roommate, Brandon Melendez, went to the grocery store and was like, yo, anything you want from the grocery store? And I was like, bacon. You should get bacon. One of the cutest things about being uh, quarantined in with these roommates in particular is that we're always like, hey, we're going to the store. Do you need anything? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good for today. Oh, can you get me some bacon? People are very kind about bringing people things from the outside world in. And so you were able to get secret bacon because you didn't put it in the in the roommate chat. Otherwise, I would have seen it. No, he just walked past me and I was like, hey, can you bring me some bacon? He was like, yeah, sure, totally. I love Brandon Melendez so much. You should follow him because his Twitter is amazing. It's so good. And so I whipped up some carbonara because, again, these Kenji videos are in real time and it only took about 15 minutes for him to make this. So I did it. What I did was I boiled some pasta in a little pan of water. One of the things that Kenji is most well-known for is pioneering, at least from what I've seen, pioneering. The idea that you don't need a whole pot of boiling water to cook pasta properly. Uh, You can just use, like, a skillet full of water, and it'll boil a lot faster, and it makes the pasta water extra starchy, which is really important for the sauce later on. I rendered some bacon. I got nice and crispy, low and slow got all the fat out of it. It wasn't like sizzling, like like really, really hot. It was like low and slow, just get all the fat out of the bacon and get the crisp into the bacon. And then took it off the heat 
so that that pan could cool down for the eventual sauce assembly later. Wow. As the pasta was cooking in the, again, shallow pan of water, wow. I scrambled up two eggs with a bunch of Parmesan cheese. Wow. Pecorino Romano is more traditional, but I used the Parmesan that we had. Wow. It seems like carbonara in particular is one of the most like fussy, specific dishes wow. that is in the like classic Roman Italian canon. Uh, you're supposed to use pancetta or guanciale, which I do not have in place of bacon. Wow. Um, but because, again, we only had bacon, and it's much easier to get bacon here in the States than it is those other two things, especially in the form that you need to get it into the pasta properly. Uh, I wow. used bacon and Parmesan instead of guanciale and pecorino romano. And you know what? It still turned out amazing. Wow. wow. I it, I know what you're going to say. You're just going to say, wow, after everything I say, I'm Trude. just so in awe of you. I love you so much. I love you so much. Once the pasta is cooked... You add it into the pan with the bacon fat, the bacon, and a little bit of pasta water and zhuzh it up. Kenji has so many pasta videos where they end with you zhuzhing up the pasta with a sauce and it makes it nice and creamy. And I've been practicing that a lot lately. I've been trying to make like fancy-ish pasta dishes that you can make in a pan after the fact with very few ingredients but do a technique to make them nice and creamy. There's no cream in this. There's no like milk or anything but the way that the egg proteins and the starch and the pasta water and the bacon fat comes together it's really creamy wow and then i added the parmesan and egg mixture and combined all of that with the starchy bacon fatty sauce that was already building in the pan and it was done just combined all of that and it becomes silky smooth when you had it what do you think was in it i mean i knew it was carbonara but did you think there was any, like, cream or butter or anything added? I assumed it was butter, yeah. Heck yeah. I did my job right. High five! Yeah! It was literally so good. My only critique is that I wish there was, like, three times more bacon. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I estimated, again, estimation is key in these cooking videos. I just estimated the amount of bacon. Uh, we still have a bunch of bacon, by the way. You'll be happy to know. Wow. And, yeah, I wish there was more bacon, too. Uh, we can always try again. I also wish I had salted your per portion. I tried it again once I got back downstairs after depositing your uh, pasta upstairs. No, it was delicious. Really? I, I loved my portion. Yay, yeah. Thank you. Because also bacon is salty. That's true. I added a pinch of salt to the one I had downstairs and it really Maybe brought out the flavor. I, I will retract. The only other thing that could have improved it, I think, could have been some chili flake. Ooh, yeah. A little bit of spice, a little bit of kick. Yeah. And also... I know that you'll never agree with me on this, but like a vegetable would have been good. Yeah. Maybe like um like peas or something. Peas is a very common carbonara addition, even though it's not like quote unquote traditional. Because I just think peas are so good. Like pea flavor is so like, like it's just sweet and mild. So it goes with so many things. Also, it's amazing frozen. And I yeah. don't know any it's ingredients like, that call for fresh peas. Yeah, no, you almost never use fresh peas and... Frozen peas are better than canned peas. Yeah, definitely. So I made breakfast pasta with bacon, egg, and cheese for Truge. It was really good, and I'm very in love. I think that might be it for this episode. I huh, think Brian? so, too. Well, 
Um, we hope that you're all doing well and that you're safe and that your families are safe. And thank you so much for listening. And uh, we're still keeping out our call. Uh, if you would like to be featured on a future episode where we talk about quarantine routines, uh, send us an audio bite of what you've been doing and what you've been eating and what you've been enjoying. Um, what's our email again, Brian? Most important meal podcast at gmail.com. It's also in the uh, show notes. Heck yeah. Wow.